Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Book Three, Risk Analysis. Chapter 30, Last Chapter. The man who'd been hiding in the dark asked. There was a total lack of annoyance or sarcasm in his voice, thereby alluding to some in his head. Much. Thank you, I told him. Could you perhaps answer my question now? You didn't ask one, Mr. Senior Agent Strom Yamad, Regional Director Spinward Border Alliance of Independent Nations Intelligence Branch. Agent Yamad is just fine, didn't I? Ask a question, I mean. No, Agent, you made a comment. But if what you meant to ask was whether I consider the prisoner to be, to have been, a well-trained, formidable opponent, the answer is an unqualified yes. He studied me, a half-smile now playing on his unremarkable features. I'm sorry, Mr. DeSantos, you just seem so blasé about all this. Is that another misphrased question, Agent Yamit? He kept watching, kept almost smiling. No, I know better than that now. He sat back, done with his silly challenge game, and the Admiral spoke up almost immediately. I don't know if you've had access to data you aren't meant to see, Mr. DeSantos, or if this just stems from insight of your own, but you seem to possess knowledge about AIN policy at a level you are not cleared for. What are we going to do about that? Um, forget I was ever here? Bitter chuckles from around the room followed this, even from Dusane. The skinny guy on my side, believe it or not, I never did learn his name, put up a shushing hand to me, which could have been very insulting if I'd cared at all. He waited until there was a chance to speak. Frankly, this man's participation here is of questionable value, Admiral. We have his sworn testimony under debrief and can always recall him for any clarifications needed. His observations about territorial policy seem to be little more than conjecture, and by his own admission, this so-called department he leads is one in name only. I'd go along with that, Agent Yamad endorsed from his resented patch of light, and the uniforms on either side of Bethany Dusane nodded as well. The Admiral thought about it for a bit. She was the kind that thought about everything for a bit, it looked like. All right, then, the scarred woman conceded after a bit. Thank you for your time, Mr. DeSantos. Ma'am? I replied with a nod, then got up and left the room. To say the least, Mavis was surprised to see me on the comm. She'd been told what had happened in the storeroom by Chris, who'd been told by Barney, who'd learned about it through sources of his own. Everyone had assumed I was dead, of course. Why wouldn't they? When Cageless had star-jumped, Mylag Vernier had had a spherical hole in space-time torn out of it. Because the ship had been sitting on the deck, its jump bubble had extended through the floor and into a water purification processor on the level below. A main sewage treatment line had ruptured accordingly, creating a huge biohazard. 
The energy flux from transition had scrambled all sensors and communications on the station, while the localized power loss to the area from the folding EMP attack before the jump greatly hampered efforts to repair the sewage spill. R&D and several other sections of the station were evacuated. The prototype's theft was seen as the last straw, I guess, to say nothing of the newly revealed violation of the Havelina Reduction Agreement. Corporate placed the entire project on hold. By the time I returned to 21611B, hitching a ride with an official AIN Fleet Observation Group upon a fast and lean cutter, efforts to dismantle and relocate the project were well underway. The AIN FOG was invited to go along with them to the star system selected as the new location. I was not. When I came aboard station, CPS-08, Amanda Casellier, and some team guards were waiting outside the locker room attached to the airlock. She shook her head in angry surprise. The amount of paperwork you generate for the rest of us. And 8, Melbrot? Oh, he couldn't believe it when he got the reports. He still chooses not to, but I had to see it for myself. Don't tell me you missed me. Have I ever given you reason to think I would? These fine gentlefolk will act as your escort while you're aboard. Notice they are armed. I placed a hand over my heart. Your kindness touches me. Right here. That made her start listing off all my faults, and the various breaches of protocol I was guilty of, and the long tally of legal violations I would be charged with. I smiled the whole time and didn't reply. She was as nettled by that as I could have hoped, and finally stalked off, smoldering. As usual, Barney was in the loop without anyone knowing it or knowing how. I saw him down the companionway, emptying trash. I'd gotten a new wrist comp, cheap one, while at Murrieta, and received a notice of an incoming call in my eye view a few moments later. Well, looky what the cat dragged in, he exclaimed, sounding tinny but sincere over my bone cons. I'm very happy to see you, Ejock. I'm happy to be seen. Is everyone okay? Yep, and laying low. We thought you were gone forever. So did I for a while. I'll tell you about it later. Look, it's over now, Barney. Our mission's done. They can come forward. They're safe. UH is here, and so are fleet personnel. Let them all know. He told me that the Shady Lady crew had obtained apartments and were considering getting stupid little undercover jobs on station. Except for the captain, who still didn't feel free to move about in public. For her sake, though, Barney had pulled off a magic trick in managing an Atmo recharge for the ship without anyone on station getting wise. Mavis was fine, in other words, but effectively a prisoner. Like last time, I didn't go aboard the stealth ship alone. The people with me this time, though, were all Meerschaum and corporate engineers, as well as a few security personnel from both sides of the border. Rather than deal with the fire vent, we hiked over to the ship's hiding place from the nearest exit. The sight of our little makeshift airlock put all the engineers into stitches, and they crowded around the thing for a minute, poking and prodding with derogatory commentary, even while suggesting equally makeshift improvements in the design. It's the sort of thing that sort of person can't help, I guess. My captain had lots of questions, but she displayed good sense in holding off for a bit while others were within earshot. The Meerschaum boys and girls took responsibility for the ship right off the bat, and even started repair work on the mess Dieter had left in engineering. Team guards, well-armed and wearing powered vac armor, were now posted outside. They were angry about missing the ship in the shadows all this time, and were not about to lose it again. After she got suited up, I myself brought Captain Mavis Singleton aboard Mylag Vernier for the very first time. In addition to my own assigned entourage, 
We had an escort of both team and fleet guards, as well as other characters from corporate and station admin chattering around us relentlessly. We were quite a mob. Shady Lady's intrepid crew, save for its engineer, of course, were standing outside the locker room, waiting for us. There were smiles and laughter all around, and I even got a desperate, overly long hug from Stina. No sobs, though. They all looked good, and it was really, really good to see them. I shook Chris's hand, and he shook mine. You were right, he said. What about? About playing this one straight. I'm rather ashamed of my behavior, to be honest. Don't be, I told him with a pat to the arm. Lots of people were trying to take this tech, so it must have been a good idea. We laughed, the two of us. John and Mavis did too. We were a crew that could take on a mission and see it completed. We could endure each other's company in the worst of situations and not go homicidal. We could survive in secret, and we could survive betrayal. In that moment, we were the best there was, and no one could say anything different. I don't get it, Stina stated simply. There's nothing to get, I assured, then took her and John aside for a moment to speak privately. We agreed upon a time and place, and I turned them over to our captain. You guys should give Mavis the grand tour. They all seemed up for it, and team called for a few extra guards. It made for a regular parade. They expected me to come along, but I begged off with a smile that faded just as soon as they turned to go. Floy wasn't around. She would have been, so I asked about her. The soldiers at my heel said they didn't know anything, and her number was no longer in the public registry. Gaza's was still there, so I placed a call. I thought she was going to have a stroke, she was so surprised. She sputtered out half-formed questions and excited demands for information. I couldn't even get a word in for a long while, but finally asked about Floyine. For this, she took a breath. Physically, she was unharmed by the, um, event, but she thought she saw you die right in front of her, Ejok. She actually seemed okay at first, sad but coping. But last three day, third shift, I guess she was found, wandering the companion ways, acting strangely, laughing, crying, making loud noises. She almost got into a fight. It was drugs. I... I didn't know she had a problem. Where is she now? Team shipped her to a military hospital, Darzan base over in Kowanda system. You probably passed her shuttle on mid-route while you were inbound from the jump point. I did visit her in the infirmary before she left. She was so embarrassed. She wanted to talk about you, I think, but couldn't get the words out, blaming herself. I didn't even know what to say. I looked away from the camera pickup on my wrist comp and just nodded, because I didn't know what to say to that. I didn't know what to feel. For a moment, I thought I should go after my girlfriend right then, immediately. That was the thing to do, right? Except I couldn't. Not yet. The job still wasn't done. Gaza hadn't known she had a problem. I hadn't known. Yes, I had. Maybe. Or maybe I was busy and just didn't notice. I wasn't the cause of her addiction, I knew that. But I might have been the cause of this latest fall off the wagon. But had she ever really been on it? Eye drop stims, party drugs, long hours, high stress, secrets. And a man who was busy and didn't notice things. It was true there were some very effective treatments these days, but it would still take time to heal. Time to bounce back from people who wore chaos and danger like fine cologne. Seductive and powerful 
but outgassing, radiating, seeping into the lives of others. Yeah, bounce back, that was the phrase. Her career and team was hardly over. Addiction was a disease, after all, not an aspect of character. She was on sick leave and would be cured. People always were. Okay, not always. Or if so, not always easily or well. Sometimes it took voluntary neural and genetic adjustments to break such cycles. Things like that changed a person. The treatments often made them into someone else entirely, someone with different priorities, different needs, different goals. More often than not, they didn't see themselves or the people around them in anything like the same way ever again. Which was, of course, the very point. I needed to get a message to her and ask Gaza to look up her current contact information. She said she would, and then told me once more how happy it made her to see me alive and well. Later on, back in the apartment, I was staying with Barney again. I put together a long report to CPM-10 Mannix Farlington. I dictated into a recorder, explaining everything I was free to discuss, start to finish. With the project shut down and in the process of relocating, there would be a need for civilian law enforcement in this place, and I strongly recommended that the Department of Station Security be reestablished. I had a few people in mind, I said, so it could be up and running in no time. Several people stood out as being instrumental in my investigative efforts, and I named Floy, Gaza, and several of the fleet kids in our little weaponry club. I named young Staffrus and the others who had been there at the storeroom. I even named CPM-06 Jacob Hammerhuls. Why not? I can be as gracious as the next guy. It was a very long report, actually, taking most of the night to finish. I queued it up for priority dispatch on the next courier out. Before hitting the rack, I checked scheduled arrivals on the shuttle timetable. Two days. I slept well, awoke, showered, and trotted off to my favorite coffee kiosk, Team Guards in tow. The place was closed and gone, even the little wireframe tables. What happened? I asked one of the soldiers, feeling genuinely forlorn. With the project moving out, a lot of places are closing down now, sir, the young man replied. I'd been gone an age. As it was first shift now, I met up with the fleet reps who had traveled here with me. A few of my shady lady crewmates were there as well. It was important to get them all in on it early. It was important to be sure of the facts. And it was the fleeties that had to reach out to their team counterparts, not me, because this had to happen by the numbers. We spent most of the day going over what we knew, what we learned, and what we were going to do about it. That night, the Vernier Vipers got together in the pub. Stina was there, too, with an honest-to-goodness yellow basket. You wouldn't believe the fawning over I got. They were simply wonderful, one and all. We drank, and Barney had the manager put on some music. I didn't even know they had a sound system in there. A lockie dragged me out to a small space between a couple of occupied tables, and we danced like fools. After this, well and truly lubricated, we swooped over to the recreation center and invaded the smackball court. We cut right in front of the life support lightning, which had a scheduled practice session just then. They complained heartily, but we ignored them, throwing the ball around, shouting, singing... Stina screeched when the ball flew by her at one point, very fast and close. She retreated to the lounge then, all interest in the game vanishing, like steam or love. After this, the others ganged up, 
scooping me into their arms and doing a one-two-three action. I screamed in honest terror when they tossed me in the air to land with a hard bump up on the plug. I got to my feet and looked up at my former teammates standing above my head, themselves looking up at me. They were laughing and whistling and cheering. Barney grinned, and it was wide and honest and kind. Elaki had to get a boost up to help me off there, since there was no way I could jump high enough myself to escape even half a G. They tried to catch me coming back down, screaming again, but a fat man in motion is a hard thing to control, and they collapsed under me. Alaki dropped down on top. She seemed to weigh almost nothing, and we all howled. I was badly hung over the next day. A priority message came in from Mailbrot's office, but I couldn't handle that guy right then, so I let it go to archive. I showered and shaved and used chemical analgesics as well as a nerve block, because the barley wine and grano shots had been plentiful. At some point, I remembered to check the arrivals again and swore loudly when I saw the time. I placed a couple of calls while dressing. Thus it was I found myself leaning on the buzzer for Siddle's door. It wasn't exactly early, but it felt like it to me. He answered in a robe, yawning, and was surprised to see me standing there. I pushed in before he could ask what was up and planted myself on the armrest of a plush chair in the living room. This place was almost a clone of Barney's and mine. Lazarus rises, he muttered, shutting the door. Make yourself at home. Thanks. Sorry I didn't let you know when I arrived, Ejok. The trip here was insane. I just got in and crashed. What time is it? Ten hundred. I'm sorry, too, Sid. We really need to talk. No, no, it's fine, he assured, sitting on the couch. His hair was tousled, and he looked happy to see me. I read the prelims that Fleet put together back on Blue Light. It's amazing. Ejok, what you pulled off? Yeah, it was pretty hairy there for a while. Look, this thing is wrapping up, and it seems like everybody is content, or at least getting there. The impact will be big. Huge. And I'm only involved because you championed me to Meerschaum and UH. It was my pleasure. You know that. Really, you did me a favor. They were having trouble pulling together a crew. There were a lot of times I cursed you for being so thoughtful, I confessed, and he chuckled. But I believe I did some good here, and I'm trying to stay focused on that. Good, that's great. So, what's up? I looked at him. He was sleepy, but curious. The records seem to have a few holes. Do you know who it was that recruited Dieter? I'm not sure, he answered, thinking through a foggy brain. He came down through us, that is Meerschaum. Someone in the upper offices over in Tyree was probably working with him. Either that or they did a lousy job on the background check. Fleets turned that part over to AIN Intelligence Branch. They'll probably interview me in the near future. Thanks for that. I smiled. His super spy look was on the shelf now. That was just a show when he needed to impress people. He didn't need to impress me. I knew what he was really like. The thing is, Sid, no one in the Meerschaum head office knew about the true nature of this mission. They knew about the treaty verification, but not what was actually here, waiting for us to find because we were supposed to discover the free jump technology. How could anyone have known it was here? Oh, it's been an open secret in the intelligence communities across space for some time. Ain is even an active investor in this project, though not through fleet. How do you know that? he asked. I had his full attention now. It was more or less confirmed, unofficially. 
Plus, I never even saw one fleet uniform the whole time I was here. If they had money in the project, you better believe they'd have had their own engineers watching what was going on. Maybe there were some Ain IB spooks floating around, acting as advisors or something, but if so, I never caught a whiff. There was, however, an active espionage ring in place. Proper spies, as well as mercenaries. Some of them even held key positions in R&D and station admin. At least until the personnel shakeup happened and team took over. Well, if there was a leak on the Alliance side of the border, he proposed, brainstorming with me. It was either in Ain Intel or United Humanity. We Eloni, maybe? That was my initial thought, too, I told him. Except, as you say, Dieter came down through Meerschaum, which didn't have any details early on. Anya Wheatiloni was working to get this mission greenlighted for a long time, though. She tried everything. Closed-door meetings with her bosses, extensive legal research, and all that ship data she showed us. She talked to a lot of people, trying to get some buzz going, hoping UH would move forward with her project. Understand, she wasn't under any legal prohibition not to talk about a job that didn't at that time exist. Rookie mistake. So you do think she let it slip? Maybe, I observed, but all she had to leak was some strange traffic data. That didn't even impress her own people for several years. No, Church Space was already running a targeted campaign by the time Ms. Wheeloni generated any enthusiasm. In fact, her insight and persistence is the one thing no one could have seen coming. When did she first approach Meerschaum again? He still wasn't doing the spy thing, but the sleepyhead thing was gone now. As was the friendly thing. Pretty early on. And you dealt with her back then. Correct? Yes. What are you implying? Well, you said it yourself. You wanted out. You were getting married. You were tired of dealing with bureaucrats and middle managers. I know you still have some shady connections from your days as a freelancer, but maybe the churcher operatives came to you. Maybe they made an offer. I'm sure you never intended any harm. Ejok? I have no idea what you're talking about, and frankly, I'm a little insulted by your insinuations. See, it just never made any sense to me. I turned it over and over in my head, Sid. Why would they send out Jaybird, such a precious vehicle, to do battle with an unknown entity? It was a ridiculous risk, an appalling one. Unless... they didn't think there actually was any risk. Ejok, I'm tired. All right. But he didn't sound tired. He sounded very much awake. I've seen the reports on what little wreckage was recovered from the spy ship that Liquidator splashed. It took a mighty effort, but they actually got some. It was ID'd as an ordinary Bothos-class cruise master, but one that had a Kranicat stealth suite installed. Okay, that's just a small ship. Crew of three or four, I think. So what? So it doesn't exactly scream of deep pockets, the way UH's budget for Shady Lady did. Kranicats provide a decent level of stealth, but far from perfect. It could only remain hidden if it kept its distance, and especially if no one was actively looking for it. You know Cruise Masters, they're favorites for ship modders. You can put in defensive systems, extra sensors, or even stealth. But they've got one major drawback, something called an Item S engine compartment. An Item S is so small you can't fit anything bigger than a 2.4 gigawatt power plant converter inside. That's enough to run Star Jump and Weapons, or Star Jump and a Kranicat, but not both. And they sure didn't crawl here at Sublight. Which means... Which means... They were not armed. They were out there to send and receive encrypted messages only. When Shady Lady was detected, the church space operatives on station panicked. What other ship could we possibly have been but theirs? 
If Team captured it, the spy ring was sunk. They needed that ship killed to maintain their own cover. They sent the only vessel in existence that could have outpaced team fighters in that situation. Jaybird. It jumped expecting an unarmed foe. But it found your ship instead, he commented, sounding judgmental, which was an ugly tone on him. Yes, it did. That fight was pushed on us. We tried to stop it. We tried to call both them and the station. We tried to run. When those things didn't work and they came at us again, I did what I was hired to do. They're dead and by my hand, but I wasn't the one that got them killed. I had nothing to do with it either, with anything you just said. No? Then maybe you can explain the transfer of $62 million to a dummy account in the Alliance two years ago from a church space financial house. Fleet? A9B, UH, and Meerschaum brought along all the statistical and accounts-related crap for this mission. It goes back a long way, and what a mess. No pattern, no clear leads. So I had John and Stina take a look, and to them, it was just data analysis. They worked together without fighting for a change. They sifted the info and saw it all plain as daylight. Can you possibly guess what was purchased from a second-hand dealership out Greenbelt Way with this money? Ejock. The entire build bond of a Bothos cruise master paid off in hard credit. <laughs> you don't see that too often, do you? This isn't proof of anything, he said quietly, in a tone that sounded like a confession. But tones aren't enough. If you had half the training you pretend to, Siddle, you'd know that it is. All ships registered in the Alliance have a scan code for identification purposes. The superstructure is sampled with micro X-ray lasers. The metal gets modeled right down to the molecular level. This model is kept on record and used as the basis for the ship's registration with the Route Management Authority. It's part of the official ID and a vessel's transponder, and it's noted on all legal sales records. The code can be extrapolated from a single piece of wreckage, if the right equipment and expertise are on hand. Team has both here. You left a trail, Sid. He was looking at the floor by this point, and breathing hard. What are you going to do? People died. What should I do? I never meant... I mean, it wasn't supposed to be like that. This was just about information. It wasn't life and death stuff. I would never have gotten involved in killing you, Jock. You know that. I believe you got in over your head, but that doesn't change what happened. Look, they did come to me, but we Eloni's work was so vague back then, I figured there was no harm in passing it on. Her UH bosses weren't listening to her anyway, so if someone wanted to pay me for it, why not? How did they pay you, Siddle? I asked. Your personal accounts are enviable, but they're all clean. He looked conflicted. He shook his head, but answered anyway. They hired Meerschaum to organize a small ship purchase, and they insisted I handle the account by myself. The commission on that was my payment free and clear, along with a bonus for overseeing the modifications. This was for the Bothos? He nodded, looking at the floor again. Did you know about Dieter? No! I haven't had contact with those people since the ship purchase went through. I was shocked when UH decided to move forward with this mission. Dieter Voxel was not my guy, believe me. Should I? I really wanted to know. I wanted to find a way to trust him. He was a nice guy. I'd always thought so. Come on. We've been friends for years. I can't... I can't go to prison. Jerry and I set the date. Day 225. I want you to be my best man. I like you, Sid. But we're not friends. A friend doesn't make a mess like this and send the other in blindly. I made a mistake, all right? He pleaded, tears rolling down his cheeks. I'm so sorry. You don't have to do this. 
You only have one way out. This operation runs through two nations, three if you count church space. It employs killers and spies. If you agree to cooperate and tell team and fleet what they want to know, I'll do everything in my power to swing a deal for you. I can't speak for anyone else and I can't promise anything. But you better believe that the only way forward here is with the truth. Like you said, you made a mistake. You want to put it right. That buys you points. They might waive some prison time, maybe all of it, if your info is good enough. I'm asking you to do the right thing. Don't, please. I'm begging you, Ejog. I just needed the money. We've been planning the wedding for years. You know that. It was killing us. We would have been starting our lives with nothing. Scrimping and saving and still not able to buy a home for my husband? You call that fair? How is that fair? I didn't mean any harm. I didn't think anyone would get hurt. He was on the floor now, blubbering, deflated, the ice-cold spy guy light years away, probably still in a meeting somewhere, impressing the middle management. I believe you, Sid. It's the only reason you're still breathing. He looked up in alarm, but couldn't meet my gaze. Siddle dropped his head one last time, crying with abandon. But he nodded, and that was enough. The door to his apartment opened, and all the soldiers came in. A shakeup within the Montero Board of Directors was ongoing. Rumor had it there was even some bloodshed involved, though everyone's version of events was different. Most of what I learned came from news vids. I never did hear anything back from CPM-10 Mannix Farlington or anyone else up there on Mount Olympus. I guess they were busy sorting out priorities and loyalties and lies. Or maybe they were just throwing a steady stream of cocktail parties and couldn't be bothered with the petty concerns of mere mortals. The president of the corporate coalition that composed the Montero Transstellar Commercial Federation was still in place, along with her VPs, senior project leaders, administrative services, and, most importantly, team's entire command staff. Corporate security had decided to take its cue from the boss instead of the boss's bosses. Territorial leadership was in place, therefore, and a steady work-a-day ambiance for most people was maintained throughout the BOD troubles. A few days after Siddle was arrested, I got a call from CPS-09 Byron Mailbrot's office. He needed to see me. I hadn't spoken to that guy since I'd gotten back. I hadn't even returned his earlier call. I cc'd all my reports and evidence to his staff, but never once got a simple acknowledgement. This had to be something special, though, since he ordered one of the escorting guards to strongly insist that I answer my comm. So I did, and then went over to Team HQ, as instructed. Mailbrot didn't keep me waiting, and he didn't take any peevish exception to my lack of protocol when I walked in and plopped down in the chair across from his desk. CPS 08 Amanda Casellier was there, face drawn, lips tight. A couple of other uniform jokers stood nearby as well, all with grave countenances. The nine, though, was smiling. I hate you, DeSantos. The man declared, eyes bright, excitement barely contained. Back at you, beautiful, I replied, giving him the gun finger and a wink. Whatever this was, it was good, and likely his finishing move, so I sure as heck wasn't going down without some pettiness. Give the man his due, he didn't rise to the bait. I can't seem to touch you on this end of the job, he confessed leaning back, hands in his lap. His flunkies never changed expressions. 
But my brother-in-law just made senior administrator over in border security. They've just issued a persona non grata warrant with your name on it. That's a priority one territorial security dispatch. It cannot be overridden except through an upper management exception. Tell me... Have you heard anything from your pals on Interstar lately? He waited for my reply, smiling. They all waited. I just chuckled. Amanda Casselier had a folded piece of paper in her hand, and, with a nod from her senior officer, stepped forward and gave it to me. CPMO 7 Ejoc de Santos, Melbrot went on. You are hereby served. You are no longer welcome in this part of space. Effective immediately, your cross-border pass for corporate territory has been revoked. You have exactly 24 hours to put yourself on a shuttle heading out to the Rimstay, where you will undergo a comprehensive search for any Montero property or data. After this, you will be placed upon the first available ship heading out of the territory. I thought his grin would split his head in half, and I was downright disappointed when it didn't. (laughs) Very, very good, I allowed, and kept laughing lowly as the others started speaking. They informed me of my rights and obligations under the terms of the warrant, My escort was being dismissed. I was not under arrest unless I failed to comply. Severing my obligations here, including any personal or professional responsibilities, was entirely on me. If I could somehow keep my job while being ushered out the door, well, that was good. If not, that was less good, but no one's problem but my own. I conceded defeat with a nod of my head, and Mailbrot loved every moment. It's a good feeling, bringing joy into a man's life. I left the Nine's office feeling lighter than I had in a long time. Mavis told me that Shady Lady was just about ready to leave, if I wanted to go home that way. We would even have a gunboat escort out to the jump point. I took her up on the offer. Chris, John, and Stina had seen enough of that ship for a lifetime and were using commercial transport to get home. The Meerschaum techs had set the engineering systems on full automatic. Mavis would have to check on it now and then, but if we were just going from point A to point B, they assured us we wouldn't need an engine specialist aboard. That was good news, because the last one hadn't left me in my happy place. Later on, during mid-shift, I stopped by R&D. Since I'd been presumed dead, they'd gone and cancelled my clearance, thoughtful types that they were. Gaza had to come out to the security desk and arrange for a visitor's pass. That's a dirty trick, she spat when she heard about Mailbrot's maneuver. Contact the board of directors, they can override something like this. I think they have other worries right now. And frankly, I don't even care. I'm tired, Gaz. I'm spent. I've been played and manipulated from the start, and I just want to be done with it. The secrets, the lies. It just isn't my game. Well, that's not a bad thing at all. She smiled her bright smile, and I knew then I was really going to miss her. We were in the new Weaponry Sub-D office, soon to be abandoned as the project moved on. Since we'd only been working with digital models and sims, there was nothing for team to remove but furniture, and they sure weren't bringing that. The other sections of R&D were busy packing. Some were already shut down, their little glass offices all dark and lonesome. But Gazamator was still working, always working. Her poor husband. She'd been fighting with one of the modular weapon bay designs. It was up on the Tri-D display overhead, and I scrolled through idly, 
As always, there wasn't enough space available. I shifted some components around as we talked like it was a sliding puzzle, but the stuff overlapped badly. Are you relocating with the project? I asked. It's tempting. The money is good. They like what we did here. She looked at me. Have you heard from Floy? I moved holographic pieces around idly. Nothing seemed to work. No, but if she's in rehab, she'll be focused on her recovery. I did write a note. I'll send her another when I get back to the Alliance. She's one of the good ones, you know. She'll be better soon. Maybe, but I won't be allowed back over the border soon. <laughs> you should have seen Mailbrot gloating. He's got me pretty well sewn up. Then she can visit you. I met Beaumont when I had given up completely on romance. It can happen, Ejok, if you let it. I smiled, despite all. Gazamator could make me do that when she was like this, so filled with hope and enthusiasm. She was the best boss I'd ever had, and one of the best friends. That's a pretty big if, I said then shifted a power coupling on the schematic into one corner, and the whole image turned green, indicating a valid configuration. I leaned over and kissed her forehead, then got up and left. I didn't give Mailbrot's office a call about my choice to leave with Shady Lady. I just packed up my things and put them aboard. A pressurized umbilical, like the one used for the rave, had been snaked over from an airlock so that the engineers and maintenance people could come and go easily. I like to imagine the Nine went all ballistic when he learned later on that I'd missed the shuttle. You know, screeching orders, dispatching soldiers in search patterns to arrest and deport me forcibly. More likely, I was still being watched and he already knew, but it was nice to dream. I called Barney to say goodbye, but he was in meetings with team security. They were probably going over the details of the former Stasek unit's investigations. Maybe team was finally taking possession of the prisoner, that Mark De Beers fellow, who hated me because he had loved Layden. I only got my former roommate's inbox, so I left a message saying thanks and good luck. By zero hundred hours, I was aboard ship. Mavis was slowly pulling up and away on maneuvering thrusters, grabbing some distance from my lag vernier and all its shadows. I sat at the table in the common room. The Tri-D display was off, and it felt like a foreign place. There's our escort. Mavis announced from the cockpit. I had her on my speaker mics, so she didn't have to shout. Eh, let's ditch those clowns, I encouraged, and she chuckled. They placed a tracking beacon on the outer hull, just so we wouldn't be tempted. They trust us, but only to a point. Are you going to hit the freeze? I might in a couple of shifts. I don't know. I have a lot on my mind. You? Oh, Lord, no. I've had my fill, thanks. I'm looking forward to some good old-fashioned tedium. Then I should stay up. I'm the most boring guy I know. She laughed again, and so did I. That felt foreign, too. Who was she, anyway? Ignoring slumber time and adding it all up, I'd only spent a few days in the company of Captain Singleton. A week or two at most. She'd missed so much of it, I was envious. Strangers who were friendly, friends who were enemies, secrets that were widely known, and common knowledge that was all wrong. The details were the same as always, my life, my profession, yet everything was set to change. I took a very deep breath. It smelled clean and pure from all the fine repair work and maintenance performed by the Meerschaum techs. 
Shady Lady almost looked like a new ship, if you tilted your head to one side and squinted. Wow, I said quietly, looking around and seeing it all fall away. Wow, my captain agreed, and she hit main thrusters. been listening to Risk Analysis, a science fiction novel written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com and sign up for my newsletter, where you'll find exclusive content and early releases. This story is copyright 2016 by the author and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called i by Trunks and can be found on SoundCloud.com. The theme for Risk Analysis is called The Inventor by Zach Beaver and is available on SoundCloud.com. Risk Analysis is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person, living or dead, nor any particular place or situation. Thank you for listening. Take care.